Hello everyone and welcome. My name is Andrew. And I'm Rachel. And we are Peaches of the Scene Podcast. We are a true crime podcast aiming to put you, the listener, at the scene of the crime. Each week we delve into the murky world of lesser known crimes from the UK and Ireland. And occasionally we venture into renowned cases from around the globe. And as with any true crime podcast, listener discretion is always advised. And today, well there's no exception, but it's on the lighter side today, so you don't have to worry too much. Especially after such a horrific episode last week that we went into. I feel like uh, I should apologise once again. <laughs> if, we're, if we're going to bring it up, I'm sorry, guys. If you like what you hear, please do follow us on whatever social media platform you prefer. Subscribe to us on your preferred podcast platform of choice. And if you have the capability, give us a rating and review as well. It really does mean a well to us. It, it lifts us up sometimes when we're having a crappiest day, doesn't it, Rachel? Oh, absolutely. And how often um, do you screen any kind of review? Sometimes even, you know, the ones where it, like we're getting the feedback on, oh, I probably wouldn't have said this, but it, it just, it means the world because it means that people are listening and they care. So, yeah, we love it. Yes. And if you do like us that much, like you want to support us, or maybe even you hate us, but you also want to give us money for nothing, you can do so for less than the price of a cup of tea or coffee on Patreon. We've our lowest tier starting at £1 per month. And we do now have several tiers, so you can get extra benefits, depending on how much you want to support us with. Yeah, but I just want to caveat that with, hopefully you don't hate us. Hopefully you love us, and that's why you want to support us on Patreon. Yes, obviously. And if you're still listening to us and they hate us, then, like, fair play to them. Yeah, Um, yeah. I hate you. I can't stop listening. Like that. We buy any card, but but we also release bonus content every month. Uh, the links to our social medias and Patreon can be found in the show notes or visit patreon.com forward slash scenepod. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash scenepod. And there's a couple of things I just want to shout out now, Rachel. Firstly, massive thanks to Andrea and Robin, who are our Patreon supporters, but they've recently increased their pledges to us. So we appreciate that so much. It, it, means, it means so much, doesn't it, Rachel? Absolutely. It's so kind. And it's it's... Like even better when uh, when it's existing patrons that kind of want to support the show more. Yeah, it's it's wonderful. Thank you so much. Yes, it's it's massive for us. And yes, we have a live episode coming up. We're going to be performing a live episode on the twenty sixth of July, which is a Wednesday evening. We've had time to be to be determined, but it will be on a Wednesday evening UK time. So if you want to join us become a patron supporter before that starts and any tier can join in on our patreon but also and if you're a patron supporter when the live is up and running you'll be in with a chance of winning one of two prizes of merchandise we've got a little collection small collection of merchandise that Rachel and myself has designed specifically for this live episode so sign up and you'll be with a chance of winning some merch and also Watch me and Rachel fumble our words live on screen and be interacted and to comment on the case as well. I know, guys, you're you're actually going to get insight into uh, how much editing Andrew has to do in uh, in one of our actual episodes because you'll be there to live and breathe all the errors I make. It's not that many people. Now we can get onto the case because I know people think that he's talking too much here. But just to finally say, we do also release our episodes a week early for our patron supporters. So unlike Cher, who only wishes she could turn back time, you could have already heard this episode last week. 
if you sign up. So, please. Where do you come up with them? I always say, oh, one day I'm just going to come out with it in my episode. But it, yeah, I can't. Is it, does it come naturally? It's my favorite thing. Like it helps me start an episode. I think of that first now. So it's part of your writing process. It is part of my writing process. Yes. Interesting. So how are you doing, Rachel? Well, I'm really good. I don't know whether you can tell. I've got a big smile on my face. Um, yeah, it's been been a good week. We've um we've had good chats this week. We've we're 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 moving the pod forward like hopefully everyone will have noticed our social changes and with the comp coming up the merch that we've ordered and the the live patreon like some of the stuff that was a pipe dream last year is coming true so yeah i'm really excited how are you i am great yeah it's friday morning can you tell guys can you tell he's great i'm not i'm not sure that that like (laughs) i I am i am great yes it's i'm looking forward to the weekend because i've got absolutely nothing planned this weekend Rachel yes it's the first weekend in a while I don't have to do something I don't have to dig a hole in the garden or do something so um yeah I'm, I'm really looking forward to doing absolutely nothing brilliant and the question I have to ask you Rachel is are you ready for some true crime absolutely Andrew let's get into it great so if it's safe you to do so I'd like you to relax close your eyes and picture the scene Today, I'd like to take us back to 2019, to the 6th of March, to be exact. And we're in Norfolk this week. Now, Norfolk is a town in West London, spread across both sides of the A40 Trunk Road. It's 11 miles west northwest of Charing Cross, and is one of the seven major towns that make up the London Borough of Ealing. It has a population of just over 30,000 people. And you'd be glad to hear, Rachel, it is in the Doomsday Book, but... It does date back earlier, all the way back to the 8th century. We love a good doomsday reference in the pod, Andrew, from you. We do indeed. Now, it's mainly a residential area, a mix of both public and private housing, with a large part of the housing built south of Western Avenue from the 1960s onwards. Now, it's this area, south of Western Avenue, that I wanted to visit Nether Court in the Academy Gardens Estate, to be exact. And Nether Court is a cul-de-sac, Rachel. And there are a block of flats on a cul-de-sac. And that's where we're visiting today. It's just after 11pm on the 6th of March, so it's dark outside. It's not pitch black because there are streetlights and a partial moon visible. But there is clouds over masking the moon on and off. So it's dark, but it's not completely pitch black it was around nine degrees celsius which is around 48 degrees fahrenheit and there's a strong 20 mile an hour northeasterly wind blowing just after 11 p.m a range rover pulled up just outside of a block of flats two men were in the range rover and they both got out and approached the flats and went inside the building in one of the flats on nether court lived kemar basara who was 30 years old at the time and he lived with his girlfriend and a two-year-old son they both heard a knock on the door and this worried the girlfriend of Kimar, as they were not expecting anyone, and it was quite late, it was after 11 o'clock. So she opened the door of the living room into the hallway, and she could see the end of the hallway, through the glass of the front door, and the face of one of the men. When he spotted her, he said, hello darling, which only helped heighten her fears. So she went back into the living room, and Kimar said he'd answer the door, and as he approached the door, he could make out the figures of two men. The two men we know to have gotten out of the Range Rover and approached the flats, the same two men, but he wouldn't have known this at the time. As he got further towards the door, the letterbox went dark, 
as if someone was covering it. And with everything happening so quickly, a shotgun was pushed through the letterbox, aimed upwards, and he saw the muzzle flash as it was fired, and he felt the pain as the shot hit him in the chest. Oh, my God. Yeah, that escalated quickly, didn't it? It did, it did. And I guess, like, with it being a flat, would have been heard around the building as well. Yes. The two men outside the front door then fled back to the Range Rover, and he drove off. Now, luckily for Kamar, he had instinctively turned as the shotgun was fired, only about an inch. But because he turned, the blast hit him in the chest, on it from almost from the side on, rather than full on. And this wow. actually, this actually saved his life. Oh wow! Okay. So his girlfriend called the ambulance, and he was rushed to hospital. But his injuries were then deemed to be non-life-threatening. Oh wow! Gosh, that is really lucky, isn't it? The fact that he yeah. made that slight turn because. Um, a chest shot, who knows? Vital yeah. organs, blood loss. Well, that's what that's what the doctor said, actually. The doctor said that and he only moved very slightly, but had he not moved, it would have been falling in the chest and it, all the shotgun pallets would have just damaged beyond repair his vital organs. Oh, gosh. Wow. What a sight for his girlfriend, though. Like, still horrific being shot, isn't it, in your own home? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So the question's, we're now left with, and now for who the police, what the police were left with, was who tried to kill Kimar and why? Well, let's get back to the who first. And to get the who, we have to go a little further back in the evening on the 6th of March 2019 to around 9pm. And I'd like to introduce you to two people to begin with. Omar Mischetta, who was 31, and Rashid Itani, who was 19 at the time. And actually a third person, Leon De Silva, who was 21 at the time. And at around 9pm, Omar picked Rashid up in Elves Court in London in a Vauxhall Astra that was owned by a third man, Lilai Aragai. And he was actually with them because he was driving for Omar. So now we've got four people. When he picked up the two, he started off... So when he picked up the two people, so that's probably a bit confusing here. So when Omar picked up Rashid and Leon, but... Lilai was also driving, so when they both picked up the other two, when they started off in Ells Court, they then drove off and joined the A40 near Shepherd's Bush before ending in Norfolk. Now, the reason for going to Norfolk was to do some reconnaissance ahead of the attack on Kimo later in the evening. Omar was a drug dealer and was in business with another man, an Abraham Espinosa. And they were really quite high up in the criminal chain for drug dealing in that area. They weren't just sure street-level dealers, they were like, um, yeah, they were quite high up. I don't know how to describe them, but high up in the food chain. And it was those two, that Omar and Abraham, that wanted Kimar dead. And it was for one of two reasons. And I say one of two because two were reported. Now, the most likely reason being that he owed them money for drugs. So they wanted to teach him a lesson. However, some reports stated it was because he wouldn't give up his brother who owed money to them. Now, I believe it's the first reason, simply because that is what was in the court documents as to the reason why. And the court documents usually are not wrong, are they, Rachel? No. But Rashid and Leon, they, now they were both lower-level criminals in the same circle, often acting as drug runners and smaller-scale county line dealers for the pair, so for Omar and Abraham. And any other, men, any other men are now mentioned ahead of this were also of the same standing as Rashid and Leon, just to save confusion. 
and just a safety pin myself as well. And that includes Eli, who was 28 at the time, and he was the one who was driving the Vauxhall Astra. Now, all of this can also be confirmed either by witness testimony, CCTV, or the AMPR cameras, which are on the, the roads to monitor traffic and for the police. So while they were in the car, a passenger of the car, most likely Omar, but it couldn't be confirmed, made and received calls to and from the other big drug dealer I mentioned, Abraham Espinosa, with a burner Nokia mobile phone. So when they returned to Ells Court, Omar dropped Rashid and Leon off, and Rashid and Leon proceeded to go and pick up the Range Rover that I mentioned earlier. They picked up the Range Rover, which was stolen by the way, Rachel, and they also picked up a shotgun, Rachel, from a Yasser Ibrahim, who was 23 years old. Now, Yasser obtained a shotgun from his dad's collection, as his dad had a large collection of legally owned shotguns. Now, Rashid and Leon then put latex, latex gloves on, and Rashid also put on camouflage body armor. They drove back to Norfolk, because now they knew where they were going, because I almost showed them, and that's when they shot Kimar. So I won't go over the shooting again, because I went over it earlier. After they had shot and drove away from the scene of the crime, and they had almost gotten away with it, they was over in Fulham now, and it was about 30 minutes after the shooting. And the police in the area, they were conducting patrols to try and combat the rising trend of moped crime. When one of the patrols spotted the Range Rover driving erratically, they attempted to stop the car, but it sped off, causing a pursuit to take place. And after a short car chase, Rashid and Leon crashed into some bollards, which allowed the police to arrest them. Things like police chases in built-up cities never end well, do they? No, they don't know. And they probably, had they been driving like sensibly, obviously they're not on mopeds, they're in a, a Range Rover, fair enough, it was stolen, but police, if had they been driving sensibly, police wouldn't have had any reason to run the number plates, would they? So no, they exactly. They quite seemingly... Kind of got away with that, couldn't they? Well, it would have been because the police were looking out for mopeds, you know, because they go out snatching mobile phones and stuff. So, yeah. Yeah. Now, when they were arrested, they were initially arrested on suspicion of a number of driving offences. However, this soon changed. Rashid was still in his body armour, and both men still had their latex gloves on. Which looks really dodgy. Yes, indeed. And body armour, remember? Well, yeah. I don't know. I don't know, though, like... Body armor could just be like a fashion trend. Like we've all seen Stormzy, right? But <laughs> yeah, <laughs> latex gloves. Mm, yeah, I don't know whether that's just a t- touch too far. Yeah, you think you're right there. When the car was searched, no shotgun was found, but the police were not even looking for one. So it's not like they thought oh, there's no shotgun because it was for driving offences. But a Nokia mobile phone was found and two large serrated hunting knives. Now, because of what they found, searches were undertaken at both of their houses and several items were seized, including more mobile phones, more knives and a machete. Oh, police would have had a field day, wouldn't they? Yeah. What is it with machetes nowadays that we keep getting cases where they just carry machetes around in London? I know. I'm surprised they even, like, produce them. That there's a company out there that produce the amount of machetes that there are. Like, I don't yeah. even know. Where would you buy a machete from? Maybe I'm just online, don't you? Oh, yeah. Yeah, you buy them online and from like dealers, like antique dealers and people that source like random crap like that. But yeah, it baffles me that 
they're still producing them really because they are like their involvement in crime these days is becoming so much more apparent so but they didn't find any drugs not at Rashid Orleans, no. Okay, that's interesting, isn't it? Because usually the the runners and the people that are involved like have a small stash, probably never enough to like get done for like dealing limits or anything. But you know, interesting. Yeah, it is interesting. And Leela, if you remember, he was the one that drove the Astra. Yeah, he was found and arrested because when the Nokia phone was examined, it leaked him to everything because of the calls that were made to him. Now, Yasser Ibrahim, who provided a range over in the shotgun, now he was arrested because, again, telephone analysis linked him to the three men, but also because his fingerprints were found within the Range Rover. Now, when his house was searched, they did also find both heroin and MDMA. Okay, okay, yeah, so probably, again, not probably not a massive amount, but still. Yeah. Now Yasser was arrested on the twelfth of April and Lili on the 9th of July. So these investors because I wanted to put that in because it may have felt where I was saying it that these people all invested uh arrested straight away. Yeah, the, you were you were yeah. yeah, it sounded like it was like one after the other, bang, bang, bang. No, but the, these investigations took time because they had to first examine the Range Rover, then the telephone and whatnot. So, yeah, it wasn't an immediate thing, but it shows the dedication that the police put into this. Now, Omar himself, he was originally arrested on the 10th of July, but after he was bailed, he fled and remained on the run until he was rearrested in October of 2022. So last year, not too long ago. Oh, wow. So how long was he on the run for then? He was on the run for, um, I forgot the year it was in now, 2019. So he was on the just over three I mean, years, yeah. Obviously, COVID times during that probably stopped, um, like a lot. But um, but yeah, no, that's that's not bad. Then he was um. Yeah, well, he had the money, didn't he? He had the money to hide because yeah. he was a, a larger, a larger level dealer. And his his colleague, the other large dealer, Espinosa, he's never been arrested because he actually fled the country to Mexico six days after the shooting. So he's actually in Mexico now. Now, in those six days. Police were able to trace, well, not in the six days, but the six days before he fled, police were able to trace several calls between Leli and Espinosa. And they were also able to trace Leli collecting a bag from a left luggage facility on the 14th of March at Heathrow Airport that Espinosa had left when he fled the country. Now, it's believed that the payment for all the men was in this bag. All of the men were originally due to go on trial at different times. However, due to various circumstances and COVID affecting everything, they were all tried together, barring Omar, who was still on the run. And so on the 1st of March 2021, some two years after the crime was committed, they all actually went to trial. All four men were charged with conspiracy to commit murder, with Rashid, Leon and Yasser, also charged with possession of a firearm, with the intent to endanger a life. Now, Rashid, Leon, and Yasser would be found guilty and be given sentences of 27 years each for the crimes. So this, actually, I wanted to highlight the case that you did last week. Yeah. Because they got 20, 29 and 28 years yeah. for torturing that poor boy and killing him. I'm not saying it's okay to shoot people with a shotgun, but these guys got 
27 years for attempted murder. I know possession of firearm, but because of the way the sentences work, it was basically 27 years for attempted murder. Now, again, I know that um, because this is not a life sentence, they serve half of this before they can be eligible for parole. But even so, it shows you the sentencing, doesn't it, there? Yeah, and I think we've we've said it before, haven't we? The the sentencing process and the the system um, that the courts go through can be very confusing, and and like some crimes, like what what would be considered white collar crimes, like fraud, can sometimes carry heavier sentencing than like abuse and um, you know murder. So. I think really this just emphasises the fact that at some point we need to do a dive into um, sentencing in the UK and and potentially comparing it with the likes of the US and other like big jurisdictions where we cover true crime. Um, Because I think it's really, it would really inform our listeners, but also maybe help us kind of uncover a little bit more around the, the disparity between sentencing for what we feel is a lesser crime but what the court system feels and, and assess differently yeah no i agree actually i've been thinking about this and i had it earmarked as a potential content for our patron because that's the type of stuff we deep deep dive in for patron isn't it so yeah. maybe we can briefly sum it up on a normal episode for all our listeners but we'll probably deep dive it over on patron because we'll have the time yeah i think go into it I think that's a good shout. Deep diving it on Patreon, but then for our for our our ordinary listeners, they've then got the benefit of us being more educated when we're talking about stuff like this. So everyone yes. will benefit, won't they? Yes. And also remember there's one extra person here. Now Leli. You know, he was considered. I want to focus on him, which is why I picked this case, Rachel. Leli was considered by the judge to have a lesser amount of involvement in a crime because he's the one that drove the Astra for the wreck. So he was actually sentenced to 18 years in prison. And on the 13th of December last year, Omar would eventually be sentenced, after pleading guilty, to 20 years in prison. Wow. Now, this, this is interesting. The smaller amount was due to his early guilty plea. Now, I thought this was really odd, because how can you be on run for a few years and that just that just be ignored? And then as soon as you get arrested, found and arrested, you plead guilty, and then you you basically got seven years off his sentence compared to everyone else because he pled guilty early when he was out for extra time. I'd love to know the amount that was spent on resources trying to find him as well because that's got to be taken into consideration, the, the time and effort that's gone into tracking this man down. He may not have pulled the trigger, but he's still a danger because he's, he's involved in organised crime. Yeah, no, it's just... I just thought it was really odd. But, yeah, no, yeah, you're exactly right. And he's been identified that he is a large-level drug dealer as well. So, so yeah, anyway, you think it would end there, Rachel, but it didn't, which is why I, I, I chose this case. Leroy, who got the lowest sentence of 18 years, now he would actually hire new barristers and appeal his sentence on two counts, the first being that they had new evidence that could put the conviction in doubt. And the second, that his original legal reps were incompetent so that he wasn't given proper legal representation. Now, Leroy, at his original trial, 
would argue in his defense that yes, he did drive an Astra and he did have those people in his car, but he wasn't aware of why he was taking them all to no fault, that it was for a different reason why they were in the car. So therefore, because he wasn't aware of what was happening, he couldn't be found guilty of conspiracy to commit murder. Let's forget that he went and picked up payment from Heathrow like six or seven days later, whatever it was. That's what he was saying. Now, at the original trial, because we need to, because he's saying that there's new evidence and also his defense was incompetent. So let's look at the original trial of all the men because he was involved in that. Now, there were some 648 pages of statements, Rachel, that were submitted as evidence and 7,345 pages of exhibits. So that's a lot. And a lot of the CCTV footage also was not even used as evidence because they felt they didn't need it. Now, the opening note by the prosecution, so an opening note is, it's not what you see on TV where they stand up in front of the jury and they start, they make a little statement. An opening note is what's given before the trial starts from both sides to the judge and both sides can see. So it lays out basically the either defence or prosecution to make it a fair trial. So the opening note by the prosecution in the original trial never mentioned the Astra. No CCTV was put forward as evidence for it and no interview segments related to the Astra were put forward as evidence. In discussion before the original trial, Leli's barrister argued when a prosecution wanted to submit an image and say it was Leli's Astra rather than because what they originally stated, it was just a car of interest. Not that it was an Astra or it was Leli's. But then they changed their mind and said they wanted to say it was Leli's Astra. Now, when Leli's barrister um, argued that they can't just change their mind like that, the prosecution actually didn't argue with that point. Over there to say the officer in the case would make a further statement on this. Now, that statement would later state that the officer had now has the conclusion that a car was the Astra, but that was just his opinion based on the images he had seen. And also, the fact that the images showed there was no passenger in the passenger front seat was what the prosecution argued couldn't have been Levi's car because Omar was in the front seat. Oh, my God. When when the judge summed up the trial, he specifically mentioned the Astra and he told the jury to be careful and consider that the police officer may have been suffering from confirmation bias, confirming, basically confirming something he wanted to find. He wanted to find the Astra, so he did. Now, the fresh, the fresh evidence, because remember they said they had new evidence mm-hmm. for the appeal, the fresh evidence was from a forensic ex- expert who stated that the car identified in images on the CCTV couldn't be identified as an Astra, and that without that evidence, the prosecution had no evidence for Levi. Now, the appeal judges determined that the original evidence by the policeman showed that, in fact, the car couldn't have been Levi's, due to one being a saloon, where Levi had a hatchback. And also, the position of a brake light in the back window on the CCTV was in the middle of the back window, but Levi's car didn't have that brake light. Now, Levi's reasoning why the three men were in his car, you remember he said it was for something else? Now, yes. he, he said it was just going out for a meal together. So if they did do the recon at any point, 
he wasn't aware. As far as he was concerned, it was just all going out for a nice meal together. Now, the appeal judges ultimately said that they agreed the policeman's evidence was flawed. But they also said the fact that Omar had spent a lot of the time on the phone, and because it was assumed Omar was on the phone, and discussing the future murder, and they argued, that the appeal judges argued, why would you take an innocent person on that trip? Because they would have heard those telephone conversations. Yeah. So, so the, the appeal judges said that they rejected the fresh evidence appeal because it wouldn't matter if that particular CCTV image wasn't Levi's car because Levi himself said that he was in the car with them, but for the reason for going out for a meal. So they dismissed that, which is really interesting because if he wouldn't have said that he was in the car with them, they agreed that wasn't his car, so he would have gotten away with it. Yeah. yeah. But because he said, yes, I was, but we're going out for a meal, they said, well, fair enough then. They was on the phone. You knew what they were talking about. Yes. Now, the second appeal, though, was for inadequate representation. So in a nutshell, I'm not going to go into the finer details here because they were several pages long, but Leelai basically argued his first barristers were not good enough. Now, the appeal judges, I read so many different, because I read so many different appeal documents, even cases we don't cover, I read so many, and the appeal judges, judges are always really smart, and they spend so much time going to detail. And whatever, if they uphold an appeal or they reject it, it's always they go into minute detail, Rachel. You've read them. And they actually went into so much detail, like several pages, proving that Leelai's barrister was actually really good. And so, therefore, they rejected the appeal. Now, they actually said, and this is a quote, that Levi was represented at his trial with skill and competence, and that he was likely found guilty because he was guilty. So I, it was just so interesting. I was like, "Wow!" Like it basically, it basically is ripped into it because they, they 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 had so many different points that showed that if if Barrister wasn't very good, he they wouldn't be able to argue those points and try and defend him in that way. Now. I've gone into a lot more detail than normal on the court case side of things because I just thought it was really interesting and I thought this is what enhanced this case into one that we could speak about. So what do you think of this case and everything that surrounded it? I mean, I'm glad that uh, no one died. Yes. Um, I definitely think we needed an episode that had a slightly happier ending than last week. Um, So that's positive, but it doesn't it just highlight that um with like a great defense you can there's always a risk of um of of, of getting away with with crime yes. and in in the absence of there being a death these men were sentenced quite heavily and that's an amazing thing because so they should be but on the opposite side could have quite easily gotten away with a much lighter sentencing as well couldn't they yeah and he got nine years. Oh, he got 18 years. So out minimum of nine. It's not always a minimum of nine, but out a minimum of nine. And... Well, they, they have to they have to behave. They have to be yeah. you know, they essentially in prison have to be, have to have a completely clean record, which can be tricky, can't it, as well. So we always say, Oh yeah, he'll be with it, he'll be out in half. But you know, especially if they're seasoned criminals, they're probably continuing crime of some sort in prison and not likely to get out at the halfway point 
I I personally feel anyway. I don't know about how, what your views are on that, Andrew. Yeah, a lot of the time I do. I find it interesting because I listen to, I'm going to mention Seeing Red here, I listen to Seeing Red's latest episode on um, the one, the uh, Anna from Ireland who got killed by uh, two teenagers. And I commented on the Patreon um, post because they talk about the end of the episode about one of them getting 12 years and one getting 15 years. And they thought well, maybe it's because one pleaded guilty and one didn't. And it's not that's not how it works in Ireland. It's like when you get a life, you get a minimum of 12. Unless it's capital, we've covered it. Unless it's capital murder, you get a minimum of 12. And so I said, I don't know why everyone got 15 because I didn't really follow the case. But my point I'm trying to make is people might say, wow, in Ireland, they get a minimum of 12 years for a life sentence. That's nothing. But in reality, in Ireland, the average time someone who has been sentenced to life in prison actually serves is 20 years. So even though it's a standard, like, my life a minimum term of 12 it's actually 20 years on average that people get out and there's some people in prison for 30 40 years who've got a minimum of 12 years so and it used to be a minimum of seven as well so um so it shows that just because there's a minimum doesn't mean that they automatically get out there so yeah right but the point i was trying to say is imagine when he read this because yeah. it's quite obvious to tell that if he wouldn't have said we went out for a meal they were in my car he would be free now this 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 um this appeal judgment is I think two or three weeks old. So he's still going to be sat in prison right now, smarting because he's thinking I could be out free now if I wouldn't have said that. They'd have shown that's not my car, and they have no evidence. Yeah, and that and that's the thing. Like we always assume that you know criminals are intelligent or you know really stupid. We never kind of find the or highlight the ones that are in between, but. He's obviously one of those in-betweens that's that's been a bit daft to put himself um in the car that didn't belong to him that could have got him off. But um, but yeah, I think like we should be very grateful that he did. Um yes. what I would say as well is, yeah, like you've just said, minimum of 12 years, but the average is is 20. They have to go through parole board, don't they, as well? Yeah. They have to be like essentially like interviewed and grilled about if if they're if they're sorry for their crime and what they've learned and, you know, how they will reintegrate in society. And, you know, quite often some of these people are too proud to, to go through things like that as well, aren't they? And they will um, just try and either continue to plead their innocence or um, not play up to the the parole board. So I think when you see it in the movies or, or, or television programs, you see people being quite clever and getting out, but um, I think in reality it, it can be quite a difficult process, can't it? Yeah. But again, it's something good for, for us to dive into, as you say, with our Patreon supporters and and kind of identify what that process looks like. Yeah, exactly. So I'll wrap this up then now, Rachel, if that's okay. Yeah. So this has been season three, episode 10, called Who's Knocking at the Door? And if it's safe you to do so, I'd like all of you to relax. Close your eyes and picture the scene. Knock, knock, knock. It's 11pm and you hear, Hello, darling, coming from the other side of the door. Are you really going to answer it? Okay, so thank you everyone for listening again. A little bit different this week, but I hope you've enjoyed it. And we will be back next week. Yeah, speak to you next week, guys. Thanks. Bye. Thanks, bye-bye. <laughs>